Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Jason Benetti, television play-by-play announcer for the Chicago White Sox. And this ball drilled. Deep left field. Have all the fun you want, Tim Anderson. This one is... Baseball's biggest One Direction fan. Baby, you light up my world like nobody else. The way that you flip your hair gets me overwhelmed. But when you smile at the ground, it ain't hard to tell. You don't know. Uh oh. You don't know you're beautiful. It's Jason Benetti with Matt Spiegel on Hit and Run. That is true, that Jason Benetti is here, and he was singing along with himself, singing along with One Direction right now in the studio. It's hit and run on 670, the score. Good morning to you, baseball fans. Uh, We usually would have played the hit and run open. We'll do that a a little bit later at 10 o'clock. That's our guest open um, with Screeching uh, Weasel's guest list as the backdrop because we begin this show with that man, Jason Benetti, who joins us in studio. What's up, sir? Thank you for coming. Hey, thank you for having me, Matt Spiegel, and thank you for that warm introduction. It full, full on sarcasm there. Percentage uh, of sarcasm. So uh, it's it's got to be zero because I did it. <laughs> All of that is things I did. <laughs> so it's zero. Right. Exactly. You you have to own it, whether it's brought back or not. This hour of uh, hit and run is brought to you by Menards. Save big money at Menards. If you fell asleep last night in the middle of a three-hour and 37-minute rain delay, um, the Cubs did end up playing and did end up losing. And we will discuss that game, uh, bullpen issues, offense issues, and more throughout the day. But it's a nice opportunity to have a genuine big league broadcaster on the day of a ball game, Jason Benetti. So thank you for your, your generosity of time on this day. What time do you usually arrive at the ballpark to do your job as a play-by-play man? So for a 7 o'clock game, I'll get there around 2.30. Everything more condensed uh, for day games, so I'll normally get there around 9.30, mm-hmm. 9.45. So if I feel, if you're watching the game today and there's a <laughs> sensation that I'm about a half hour short, uh, you'll you'll know, you're you're the Benetti insider, you'll uh-huh. know why. No, it's, um, it's flexible, generally 2.30 for a 7, and then the day games are the day games, and it's a quick turnaround and yada, yada, yada. Yes, um, it is Zach Plesak against Lucas Giolito. If you're short on Plesak nuggets, which are delicious, by the way. Yeah, it's 5.99 for just 10 of them. Well, it's, but worth every penny. If you're short on Plesak nuggets, it's because of your time commitment to this show. But the, the preparation to do the baseball game... It, it, thankfully, it happens every day. So you're you're as long as you're locked in, you bring yesterday's context with you to the ballpark, and it's not quite as much in terms of the intensity. That yeah, it's Makes exactly sense? no, that's exactly right. Uh, and I've found that very uniquely, I think, 
over the past two seasons because when I was hopping out even for one game last year yeah. or 81 games the first two years, I, I'd go do a game in College Station for ESPN, watch the Sox game, but not be there. And you lose it. You lose it because you're not in the clubhouse and you lose it because you're not around the people. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you come back. And when the team got back home those first two years, I was like cramming again when I got to the ballpark. Oh, why did you do this on Wednesday? And on Friday, this thing happened. And I had this list of stuff that I wanted to ask people. And it's just not feasible. Yeah, it's understandable. The What, what, what some folks don't realize is just because of the everyday nature the mental challenge for the ball players and the coaches themselves uh it is so unique it it really is because the same things must be must be thought about and discussed and communicated in new ways and just continue to hammer home for instance later on i'm going to talk about the cubs situational hitting and this is the same nuanced message that they've been trying to send for years now with different hitting coaches and they've been sending that message in this particular spring training, and it worked for a while, and now it's not working, so they have to send the message again. You have to keep kind of refreshing how you teach and communicate the basics every day. Yeah, and even more insidious than that, I think, is the thought that maybe, just maybe, they have the message, and they're facing situations where they just didn't execute. Like, yeah. they might be doing exactly what you want them to do, uh-huh. but because of the sample size being small, even within one game, yeah. right? Yeah, You're being acted on by other people. A guy is trying to make you not do what your plan is. So, yes, you need a new plan for that to overcome what he's doing, mm-hmm. but it's also not always the plan being the problem right sometimes it's the body being the problem or sometimes there's really no problem yeah and you did exactly what you were supposed to do so if you then if if for five straight games a guy comes up with runner at third and one out and doesn't execute and he knows exactly what he's doing wrong and he was just acted on by a pitcher who is uh not a good match for him then suddenly you end up in this scenario where if you go to him and you say, "Hey, you got to do this better. You got to here's the message." Yeah. He shuts down because he is doing that. Right. And you haven't paid attention to him doing that. Oh boy. It's it's a it's a, a, a mind issue yes. sometimes. Yeah, no, it, it makes all the sense in the world cuz think about that. It everybody's got to be paying attention and make sure they realize what an issue might be for a failure or a, a, a lack of execution. And sometimes, as you say, there is no issue. It's right. the babip gods or a hang with them, which yeah. is the same thing, by the way. Yeah, right? that's yes. They, they, um, they masquerade as different things, but yeah, they are. They're, they're, um, they're sort of, uh, long lost twins. Right. See, this is, this is one thing that I love about analytics and I wish that could be communicated, and I think you do it a really, really nice job of communicating it in a in a gentle way. But some of it is really just quantifiable scouting. It becomes a way to categorize things that guys have talked about forever. Yeah, right. And and, and a way to figure out what the next thing is. I, that's what you're doing when you're data mining is trying to figure out an answer to a problem that hasn't popped up yet. Hmm. And when your analytics department is working as well as possible with your coaching staff, each is going to each other with questions and saying, hey, can you certify this or can you look this up 
or is this actually happening? I, I think that's the best question. I generally don't like yes, no questions, but uh, is this actually happening is a good <laughs> question for all of us to ask as we're watching games, not to question reality, but to question our biases. That's why data can help us because every scout has the human personal touch. And sometimes you do need those pieces of evidence that fill in the data. Mm -hmm. But then other times you need the data to tell you that what you just saw is an absolute outlier. Mm -hmm. 670, the score is where you are. It's hit and run. We talk baseball. If I'm not careful, I could go in any one of 35 to 40 different tangents with Jason Benetti. Ooh, I love tangents. I know. Well, sure. A ball game allows it, and a talk show allows it even more. Um, yeah, it's actually our job. <laughs> is to, tangents. To, to aggressively pursue the tangents and run with them when they make themselves available. Uh, what do you love about baseball? I mean, I, I love all the, all the, the mental layers that we've been discussing here. But if I, if I were to ask you very simply, what do you love about this game? Where do you go? Oh, I, I love so many things, but uh, for me personally, I love uh, what it has taught me about patience and it, what it's taught me about um, how frayed emotions can get when you do the same thing over and over and over again as a performer. Uh, because when you go and do this every day as an announcer or as a player, you have this you have this rejuvenated feeling coming into March 28th, opening day, and you feel like you could do nine million of these. And then like three weeks later, you wake up after a night game that went long and a day game's coming up and you say, where is the wall that my head pounded into without me realizing it? And it's not to say it's not enjoyable. That's the fun part is realizing that you are the very same person in both instances. And I think players run into that as well. You come out of spring training and everybody's giddy and joyful, and there are a lot of people who are going to fail. It's just going to happen. And trying to recalibrate yourself when that's happening and keeping yourself from going down that mental uh, corkscrew hmm. is truly the human condition in so many ways. But But... <laughs> When I go to baseball reference and I start clicking around and seeing connections that people make uh, with each other and, oh, he went here and, oh, I wonder if that person – and then you start asking yourself those questions and you realize everybody's really the same in some regard. But the 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 rich, truly deep interpersonal history I, – I just read uh, Tyler Kepner's book, K. Oh, which I, I, I want to read very much. It's about – it's about specific pitches. Yeah, each chapter is a pitch and how it was passed along and how it came to be and how it went in and out of vogue. And uh, Tyler's just got some great stories in there about where pitchers and pitches came from. It is a must read for baseball people. Mm. Uh, he's got a story in there about J.R. Richard, the hard throwing Astro. I loved J.R. Richard. Did, did you know how he became a pitcher? Like what made him love pitching? I didn't know this. Tyler in the book. Uh, relays the story that uh, J.R. Richard was just walking down a state route in Louisiana and was just like hanging out with friends or whatever, just walking down the side of the road. And there was a pitching manual on the ground and he picked it up and started <laughs> flipping through it and was like, well, shucks. And then he became J.R. Richard. No. Yep. A pitching manual. Pitching manual. What is, like, what is a pitching, pitching manual? Some pitching book. I don't know. <laughs> The ABCs of pitching? Yeah, Don or? Cooper, the cutter. <laughs> <laughs> he just picked it up. I don't know how it was out already. 
And and then he ends up being a guy who could throw what? A 101? 100, 101. Yeah. I mean, that's it's beautiful. Wow. It warms your heart. Yeah. Well, there's there's stories. There's bizarre stories like that everywhere. No, I, I, I love what you said about teaching you patience and kind of how indicative of the human condition it is. And there's that everyday nature for six or seven months. So then what is the off season? What is that teaching you? Patience to get until the season begins again. So it was patience, but then it became how to drink because I worked with Bill Walton. <laughs> so it's funny, like you get out of season and you're like, okay, whew, serenity now, the whole thing. And then you get thrust into Bill Walton, Dan Dockage. <laughs> what are you doing to my heart rate? <laughs> Guys, you probably—I love them, but like, what are we doing? You, you need to drink to survive yeah, some of those. Yeah, it's the evenings. opposite of sitting in a chair and reading a book. <laughs> Bill Walton is like being strapped to a chair and having books lasered into your brain. Uh, <laughs> I love that he doesn't need to do drugs anymore. I think he did enough that they're still there. You they're tell still him that. <laughs> no, you can throw perhaps. it down. All right, what is um, what is your favorite? play in a baseball game we asked that as our quick question the other day and i was thinking about that and uh i love a well-turned double play Mm -hmm. there's nothing more going on a lot going on yeah but the build there's oh this could be oh it's gonna be yes there it is. Yeah. You 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 have this uh zero to ninety in stepladder function in a double play turn. The the home run robbery, uh Ben Lindbergh just did a story for the ringer in the last week and a half or so about the increase in home run robberies. And I am all for a good home run robbery. Adam too. Engel is a is a member of the White Sox. Remember he had he had two of them in a week last year. Three. Right? Three, three, I think, back right? to back, right? It was back, back to back, to back and then one more after that yeah, later that, in the week. Or that's something what like it was. That. It was three. But uh, yeah, he. I mean, it's a skill and an art. So I, I do enjoy, and I I hear myself saying this, and it's all about balls in play, right? Yes, yes, it is. In fact, if if you asked me, and you haven't, because you're, right? you're rude, rude, super rude. Uh, um, what Get me out of here. <laughs> what my favorite play is. I mean, if you don't mind me talking, Jason. <laughs> I'm Guests kidding. on the show will receive crap. <laughs> um, no, I, I love a double to the gap with a man on first because that man on first is going to try to go all the way around. If it gets all the way to the wall, you've got two fielders chasing and then you've got a relay. It has to be a relay. So you've got infielders moving, getting a position, people getting to back up the correct bases and then hopefully a play at the plate. And that, I believe, is the longest you know, it's one of the longest plays you could have in terms of the ball in play. Oh, that's a good point, right? actually. That that, uh, you know, I've never really thought about length of play, but that's got to be it. Yeah. Well, inside the park home run, I, inside I suppose. Inside the park home run. And but but that that's not that's not very common. But you know, a, a double with a guy trying to score from first is about the longest you get in terms of activity, unless something goes crazy and you get a, a rundowner or th- something like that, which we had enough of yesterday. But uh. In terms of people touching the baseball, too, yes, what you just described probably is on the list, other than a rundown, probably at the top of the list. Uh, yeah, because yeah. outfielder, cut man, plate, mm-hmm. and then maybe a throw behind it to second, right? And and pitcher and pitcher and hitter to begin with, right? Right. So yeah, you had an around the horn triple play for the White Sox uh, in Houston. 
and that to talk about developing and the intensity of of, of zero to to sixty. Yeah. When when you is there a point where you realize, oh wait, this could be a triple play, or did you have it in your head beforehand? Because the, I remember the the defense was positioned so perfectly. Moncada is basically standing on the bag. The that when the ball got hit, I thought, oh, he's right there. I mean, this definitely could be a thing mm. just because of the positioning. It's amazing when you look down at a field when you've watched a lot of it. Yeah. What hits you just because of where the fielders are positioned. And you start to, I know my partner does it, but you start to see plays develop as it happens. Mm. Yeah, your partner's pretty special with that. It's, I'm telling you, it's weird. <laughs> this it's is Steve very, Stone we're talking about. Yeah, it's very weird. The, the, um, yesterday he was talking about Eloy Jimenez's batting practice. Now he's hitting balls up the middle. And, you know, a lot of this comes from, I, I know he says he's psychic, and I, I I believe that to a certain extent. But as I said in that story as well, if you haven't read it, um, not you, that wasn't derisive toward you. It was, it's um, okay. So I, it was to the I, fans. I, have, I haven't, though. So it was supposed to be welcoming. Derision accepted. No, it was a story. Steve Greenberg did a story about Steve being psychic. Oh, right, right, right. And, and uh you know, a lot of this, what what I don't like about his claim of being psychic is it takes from the knowledge that he has of the game that leads to it, right? Like, this, these are logical conclusions based on how analytical he is mm-hmm. about the game. Like, mm-hmm. he watched Eloy Jimenez take batting practice, and he loved the way he was hitting the ball up the middle. That's observation leading to prediction. It's fantastic. Everybody can do that, but only if you're really well attuned to the game. So not everybody can do it. He can, and he's very good at it. Mm. He's watching, and Lindor takes off his glove, and that leads to a pickoff. He calls it out. I mean, it takes gumption to call it out. You can know it's happening. You can sort of say, wow, I think this might. He says, usually that's a pickoff play. He just took off his glove. Bang, bang, out of the inning. That's the biggest play of the game. Yeah. Okay. It's amazing, it, it, and it's the number of innings watched from that perspective if you are smart and curious right. and in tune and passionate right. about it. Right, and I do think there's also a little occult there <laughs> because he doesn't do it all the time. He sort of has a feeling in his yeah. thorax. I don't know where it comes from or in his knee. Uh-huh. Like Terry, Terry Boers used to have the bad knee that used to tell him things, right? I think. Yes, that's yeah. former uh, Boers and Bernstein intern Jason Benetti yes. that just joined the room for a moment. Um, my favorite uh, thing about Steve Stone that I remember when I came back to town here in 2009 and I started um, hosting and went to a Sox Fest I think in 2010 was really the first time I met Stoney in, in earnest, you know, it, it, whereas like, okay. And, and he was talking baseball to me quite a bit. And I'm thinking, this is awesome. He must be a listener. He must be a fan of my baseball acumen. And he is talking baseball to me. And then I realized, nope, that's, that's just <laughs> Steve. Steve really likes to talk baseball and think baseball and if an audience presents itself and a conversation presents itself, he is right there for it. Yeah. yeah. As passionately as ever. No, and and he's just so smart about the game in so many ways. And he has, to his credit, adopted some analytical conversation points. And he understands it. And he asks me questions about it. So mm-hmm. good on him. because And you hear what he says when there are brawls and you hear about the way he defends hitters when they get hit by pitches. And he's on board with uh, the way I think about it as well, that, you know, it's it's very dangerous. And you don't hear 72 year old men talk like that a whole lot. 
I credit him for completely understanding the array of generations. And people people don't necessarily do that. The young people don't do that. Older people don't do that as mm-hmm. a rule. So. Six, and seven, he knew I was going to say that. Yeah, and, and he, he dropped you a 50. Yeah. Uh, 670, the score is where you are. It's hit and run. I am Matt Spiegel. He is Jason Benetti, play-by-play man for the White Sox. And we will talk some White Sox, of course, in this hour, but also just some big-picture baseball that I, I rarely get a chance to discuss with Jason. Also on this show, um, we will have Joe Ostrowski later on live from Springfield because the gambling bill has moved forward. Here, right, and it appears that there, it, it, if if it ends up getting fully passed and signed off, there's going to be wagering allowed within five blocks of ballparks and stadia. So, boy, the baseball implications to that are enormous. So we'll talk about that at ten forty with Joe Ostrowski. But uh, Ostrowski, but more with Jason Medetti coming up with me, Matt Spiegel, right here on Hit and Run. Welcome back in on Hit and Run right here on 670 The Score. I am Matt Spiegel. Every week we have a different guest co-host. And this week it is Jason Benetti, the White Sox play-by-play man, who sits across from me. This hour of the show is brought to you by Menards. Save big money at Menards. On the bottom of the hour, upcoming, will be brought to you by the Chicago Dogs. Tickets now on sale for the Chicago Dogs, your premier minor league baseball team. Cheer on Big Z and get in the game today for pregame autographs and meet the team Family Sunday. Tickets at www.thechicagodogs.com. The Chicago Dogs, baseball with everything. Jason Benetti, your minor league baseball stops included Syracuse for a while, right? The Toronto AAA affiliate in Syracuse. Um, How many other minor league stops were there for you along the way? So not all that many, but it felt like a thousand sometimes when your bus breaks down and things like that. Uh, I was in Salem, Virginia for two years. Uh, Have you seen the Borat movie? Yes. Okay, so you know where the rodeo, uh, he's at the rodeo and he's singing and talking about uh, what a plutonium or whatever element it is. Uh, that that happened in our parking lot. There's a civic center in the parking lot of the Salem team that I worked for. And, and when I found that out, I thought, well, I'm a perfect fit for this. My crossword puzzle doing and loving musicals and all. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, my first job, actually, it's funny you ask, because my first job was with the Windy City Thunderbolts in Crestwood. Ah. And uh, Mike Kaschersky, the replay guy, the guy in the replay room who tells Ricky Renteria whether or not to overturn for the Sox. He's a local official, but he also was the bench coach that year with the Thunderbolts, and he was the manager later on. So Cash and I went to the Thunderbolts game last night and saw the Thunderbolts play the River City Rascals and hung out with some old friends. Uh, But also, Nancy Faust was there, the former Sox organist. Yes. And so we took a picture, got to meet Nancy. Uh, I was super excited because growing up and going to Sox games, I used to guess Nancy's songs all the time for why she was playing them. She is the queen of baseball organists. She is... The reigning queen. She's wonderful. So, yeah, those were the three stops in the minors for me. I got you. Um, My friend Josh Cantor, who is the organist for the Boston Red Sox at Fenway Park, grew up a huge fan of Nancy Faust. And uh, a few years ago, he bought her practice organ from her home. And it was transplanted, driven to from Chicago to Boston in what they called the Great American Organ Transplant. And and it was filmed and videoed along the way. Um, several Chicago musicians uh, were were the ones doing the driving, and they stopped at the Hall of Fame 
and and the Hall of Fame welcomed them and 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 took pictures of the event and let them go back and touch Ty Cobb's bat and everything like that. And now Josh has Nancy Faust's organ. That's awesome, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, that Nancy, uh, her her legacy goes goes very deep and across uh, ball clubs from franchise to franchise. You're now the second person I've met in the last three months who's friends with Josh, uh, and I'm supposed to go have lunch with him with this other person who I uh, am friends with from here in Chicago. Uh, so I, I didn't know you guys were friends. Yeah. So if you want to come. Well, <laughs> well, that's that's delightful. Let's do our social agenda off the air, though. Jason Benetti, my God, stay focused. Um, Lock in. In terms, of, um, uh, in, in terms of the game itself, you mentioned replay. What's the one thing you would change, not about replay, but about the game itself, to make the experience better for the fans? Because we talked about balls in play, and we know about the lack thereof of balls in play. How John Chambi told me last year that one Sunday night game, I think it was 26 minutes between balls in play. That included commercials and everything like that. But so, but I, so I don't know if it's for that or anything else. What's the one thing you would change to make the experience of a ball game better for fans? Within the ball game, yes, because I I have a a broad based thought on what would make it more interesting. But within the game, within the game itself, if we ever got to robot umpires, uh, I would. I saw Sam Miller wrote this last year on ESPN.com, and I loved it. I would uh, use a dynamic strike zone that grows as the at bat gets longer, huh? Because it would incentivize earlier swings. I love it. I think it makes a lot of sense. Hmm. You could program it in that it just grows as each pitch comes, and then batters would be forced to swing and swing and swing. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. You'd have to be you'd have to be computerized, obviously, yep. to make it to make it stable and consistent at the beginning, and then it grows so it forces earlier swings in the at bat. Yeah, and as it grows longer, I mean. Pitch number six or seven, everything's a strike. <laughs> so why would you ever get to the point where you'd get to pitch number 10? You just wouldn't do it. And so what the pitcher throws you on the first pitch, you you kind of have to just go it. And I think it has pace of play implications, too. It's it's the best idea I've seen. I, I can't claim that it's mine. Wow. But but I thought Sam was onto something there. See, it's, it's fascinating. He, he is onto something it, because those kind of things should be the goal. That's why I... And a lot, of, a lot of people in baseball do not just simply throw out this idea of the three-batter rule, you know, because, because something must be done. And I think everybody realizes something must be done. Tying managers' hands is, is a little frightening um, in that way. But restricting the roster so there is so everyone's hands are tied the same until, you know, as they get to the game and they get to those bullpen situations – Something like that. Some of those things need to happen, don't yeah, they? I, I, I do think so. And I do. Th- there's there's a book called uh, Game of Inches, which uh, a friend of mine told me about. It's basically both narrative and encyclopedia mm. of the rule history of baseball. So uh, there each each blurb is a topic. So bean balls and uh, and and foul balls and catches in the outfield and uh the whatever it is you know mm-hmm. bat length uh anything the shortstop when it came to be it's the total history of how that all happened and 
And it's fascinating as you go deeper into the old rules of baseball. I mean, they used to only use one baseball. And you'd have to go chase it down in the crowd if it went to the crowd. And by the ninth inning, it'd be all scuffed up and nasty and gross. (laughs) Uh And you're just not going to have as many home runs. But, you know, with the beanball, at first, there was no penalty for hitting somebody. And pitchers got to the point where to try to wear the batter out, they would just hit the batter (laughs) over and over again. And so they finally had to put a rule in. I didn't know Ned Yost was managing at that oh, point. Oh, you know, Ned's been around a while. Uh, it's but but it's a it's a fountain of knowledge when it comes to uh, the rules and the way they've developed. And and I bring that up because everybody who says, "Well, that's a radical change. We can't do that." There's no. There have been radical been changes like in this game historically Forever. every couple of decades right. and even more consolidated. So mm-hmm. I. We are we are kind of the first generation that's not not the first, but uh, the pearl clutching about the rules always being the the same is just flat wrong. Do you, but that's it's so generational and so cyclical. I, I, we're in, there must have been these same conversations going on in 1968 when they decided to to lower the mound. Yeah, it's always historical versus uh, it's always we've always done it this way. Right. And you don't always have to do it that way. Right. So and, and, and I don't it has to be it has to be mandated from up on high by somebody who's just a little bit brave, you know, and, and this is the thing, you know, we, we mentioned Ned Yost, but after after the the first incident with the Royals and. And Tim Anderson, um, I played the 60-second commercial that MLB produced itself, Let the Kids Play. And in the middle of that commercial, Francisco Lindor, because it's all the players up at the podium, and Francisco Lindor swings a microphone like it's the bat and flips the bat. And it's celebrated. I mean, baseball has made its decision. It just appears that the Royals broadcasters and management and several others around the game have not heard it or accepted it. So that, that needs to be communicated a little more clearly and directly from the, from the commissioner's office, don't and you, you think? Do that, yeah, and you do that with rules. You do that with if you hit somebody, you get suspended or something like that, right? It can't be that because there are going to be accidents, right? But, yeah. but if, if there has been a warning issued and you hit somebody, then you get suspended for much longer than Brad Keller was suspended for because I don't know. I, I know Brad Keller a very little bit. And he seems like a really good guy. Some Sox players have have told me he's a very good guy, generally. I don't know if he did it uh, with Ned Yost telling him to, but if you make the suspension long enough, mm-hmm. you both disincentivize the manager from telling the player to do it, and then you definitely try to convince the player to not do it if his hambone manager is telling him to do it. Hambone. Yeah. Uh, what 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 is hambone? Neanderthal, sort of. Oh, okay. <laughs> that fits. That fits for Ned. Um, six, that seven, was hypothetical. That was yes. not about one specific <laughs> Understood. team. Understood. Um, six seventy. The score is where you are. Some textures getting in, enjoying the growing strike zone idea, and some people thinking it's the worst uh, idea of all time. Oh, that's shocking. Yeah, right. This is this is this is how it goes. In terms of these here White Sox that you get to watch every day, you started out this homestand five and zero before yesterday's loss. What is the best? thing long term big picture for what is going on with this ball club and this organization what are a couple of the best signs long term right now giolito for sure number one right yeah 
That's uh, probably number one. He look he he looks it it has the feel of an ace. It really does. Yeah. And he's got he's got a little like nerd swagger. <laughs> you know, like the head bob coming off the mound. It, it, people make fun of him all the time in the clubhouse for being uncoordinated and whatnot. Gangly. And, yeah, you know, he looks like one of those wacky, waving, inflatable, arm-flailing tube men sometimes. <laughs> but he's a great dude and a thoughtful dude. Mm-hmm. And, man, he can pitch. He's got stuff. That changeup is really good. Yeah. And that's number one for me. But I also think two reasons to love the Moncada progress. And and I know the strikeout rate is gradually coming toward where it was last year. I yeah, get that. Well, this is a good good moment to talk about it too, because in May his OPS was under eight hundred. Yep. So he's come come back down to earth statistically. But tell me what what you see because such a big focus of the off season and such excitement early on about his development. When when he was being aggressive early in counts and when he was squaring up early pitches, that's when he was having his most success this year. But. Uh, the improvements that he's made defensively, just moving from second to third, he's very clearly a more natural third baseman than he is a second baseman. So I think that's going to stand. Um, but what we saw early in the year is him slingshotting out of spring training based on the work he's done. So there's an acumen for improvement, I think, mm-hmm. that exists. And that can be a blueprint for Eloy Jimenez. It can be a blueprint for, I don't know, Jake Berger or Zach Collins, whoever it is. When you have somebody who's going to be there a while, like Makata, we think, uh, that can explain that and everybody can live it sort of together. Like you got Giolito on the pitching side, mm-hmm. and then you have you know early Moncada, but if he continues to do what he's done, or if Eloy is the guy who is kind of the lodestar, the, the guy who brings everybody else along and says you can do this, it's nice to have those in your clubhouse because the guys who were trying to tell the young players that last year were older guys. So that that exists internally, I think, is a really good sign. Hmm. Um, some of that that you just attributed to Mancata and potentiality, I, I have been attributing to Anderson, to yeah. Tim Anderson. I, 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 is he, he appears to me to be kind of the emotional center of, of the thing, at least from a position player perspective, and has improved quite a bit um, each year uh, and, and has gotten better. Am I overstating that, though, when I talk about it in those terms? I don't think so at all. Watching Tim Anderson go from kid who he said this didn't really know how to play baseball and that that's true he was a basketball player at heart we talk about that some on the telecast and and it's because that's what's inside of Tim he was a basketball player at first and when he got up here in 2016 he basically was just kind of guessing at how to be a major leaguer and to watch him go through what he went through a couple of years ago with his friend passing away and getting shot. And, and uh, last year kind of coming out of that, the self-actualization, him becoming the best version of him is mm-hmm. what we're watching this year. It just so happened that the Royals thing shined a light on it. But we could see that developing. He yeah. was much more talkative, much more uh, self-believing, and and watching that happen with his uh, significant raw talent uh, is uh, is a nasty combination for the rest of the league. I don't think you're wrong at all in uh, attributing uh, in saying that he's the center. But I also think 
that people have to find their own centers. Mm-hmm. Like Eloy Jimenez needs to figure out what that is for him, and Moncada needs to figure out what that is for him. But Tim has done it at age 25, right. and you don't see that all the time. 670, the score is where you are. He's Jason Benetti. I'm Matt Spiegel. It's hit and run. Uh, the Cubs lost last night late in the evening. We'll talk about that at the top of the hour. But one more segment with Jason. I want to talk about one more member of the White Sox, who I think is a tremendous find. And we'll talk about awkward moments as well when we come back on 670 The Score. (music) 670 The Score is where you are. Jason Benetti and I discussing during the break some of the potential gambling implications on Major League Baseball. We'll talk to Joe Ostrowski in about one hour from Springfield with the developments on the state gambling bill. Could be some very, very, very interesting things. Um, But um, before we talk about awkward moments, James McCann, it seems sometimes, first of all, that catchers develop very late and at weird times, and you're not exactly sure when, and it and sometimes you find a guy in a rebuild. I think they have really, really found a guy. And not I'm not saying this because of what he does offensively. Tell people about his defensive approach and his importance to young pitchers. So uh and and it's important, I'm glad you said that about the offense, because the offense could regress back to where he was in years past, and I'd still feel this way. Uh, James McCann as a catcher brings something that the Sox have not seen in a while in terms of preparation as a catcher and just his care every day. We sat down for a chat, like a half an hour chat that's going to be on the Sox YouTube channel in a week or so. And one of the things he said is no matter what, and I learned this at an early age, he said, no matter what, I can control every movement of my defense. I can control Every mental facet of my defense, everything having to do with receiving and battery mates and the relationship with a pitcher, I control that every moment, every game. He knows that. Hmm. He appreciates that. And he, this guy, uh, and I've, I've talked to him at length about it, he builds his own scouting reports on uh, batters for the next series. He'll be sitting on the plane sometimes with his tablet and working on a scouting report for the next series. He does it sometimes a day in advance, doesn't want to have all the names in his mind, so it's not four or five days in advance. But on the plane, day before the series starts, he's all over it. And and you don't see that all the time. We haven't seen that. So uh, credit to him, because Lucas Giolito, anytime you ask Lucas about what's changed this year, in part, it is James McCann, the trust he has in his understanding of pitching and the sequencing, and you want that around your young players. You absolutely do. And when you have an organization that has undergone the changes and the modernization that the White Sox have over these past three years and has more work to do in that regard, when you find players who are helping it progress in this way and taking ownership, they might be even more valuable. Is that fair to say? Totally agree because he can be the bridge between the analytics department yep. and everybody else on the field. You need multiple people who buy that. Yes. It can't just be the coaching staff or one player. But if you have somebody who so believes in it mm-hmm. and believes in the data providing a, a guidepost, they can help permeate it throughout the clubhouse. Yeah. 
And and because and, and, you ne- you do need multiple people. It can't just be a manager. It's obviously a big ma- part of the manager's job. But sometimes, and it's it's an assistant. It's interesting. The Cubs have Tommy Hadovy down there. Um, the Rays have a 28 year old Princeton grad, Jonathan. I forget his last name. Yeah, yeah. Goldschmidt, maybe I don't know. But he's he's a 28 year old Princeton grad in coaching uniform uh, on the Tampa Rays coaching staff. But having players who get it. And and know it and share it is incredibly valuable. And talk it. Yeah. You've got to talk it. It's got to be part of your vocabulary, I think, if it's all working together. Mm-hmm. So that helps. Um, Jason Benetti is more than just a broadcaster. Believe it or not, he's an actual human being. Fully, <laughs> seemingly pretty well fleshed out in terms of your emotional development, your intellectual development. I think you wouldn't know that based on some of the texters, but that's one of the awkward moments is when the guest clicks on the text thing. And uh-huh. it's like, you're great. You're horrible. Oh, you're yeah. great. You're horrible. Don't do that. Don't, nope. don't do that. Stay away. Stay away. Um, but the awkward moments uh, series that Jason does for the cerebral palsy foundation are really, really cool. Here's one of them. Hi, I'm Jason Benetti, your friendly Chicago TV sports announcer with awkward moments brought to you by the cerebral palsy foundation. Think about how many things we overlook in life. Like, uh, when you go down a street, 99% of what you see, you don't remember. Well, when you have cerebral palsy, you're part of the 1% that people do remember. Uh, I was walking down the street the other day, and as I passed this woman, she looked down at my legs as though they were actually going to fall off my body. So when she caught me catching her, her eyes darted up and away like she'd been looking at the power lines or something. But who looks at power lines? There's something fascinating about power lines I've missed all my life. So after we've passed each other, I look over my shoulder and I catch her again. She's looking at me. I'm looking at her looking at me to see if she was looking at... Do we have like a flow chart of this? Then, you're not going to believe this, she looks at the power lines again. Not only has she done the disability look away, she's doubled down on it. I wait her out though, and yes, she looks back one last time. We lock eyes, and then she gets it. It's not the first time this has happened. It's okay, lady on the street. In fact, let's turn the moment into a shared smile. If you want, we could even talk to each other about, I don't know, uh, power lines? Help CPF create and share the messages that make the world a little less awkward for all of us. This is Jason Benetti with Awkward Moments. And I very much look forward to having one with you. As as a man who's had several awkward moments with you, I I, I appreciate your self-awareness about the entire thing, um, your willingness to address it, the compassion you have for the viewer or the listener or just the human encountering you is, 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 is quite something. And the opportunity to teach that you have seized gently, this uh, could do a genuine amount of good right here, what you're doing with the Cerebral Palsy Foundation. Thank you, Matt. Uh, that means a lot. It really does, because I, I have always cherished your humanity and your empathy and your understanding and this is sports talk. So I have to like be gruff at some point. Um, but I, 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 uh, I think it's really important to understand other people and like what people need to realize is when they tweet something at me about my appearance or they say something in a negative way, it's 
just me then wanting to have them understand that I've heard it before. Hmm. As as you approach somebody who's different in some way, whatever trait we all have, it's it's not only about disability. It's just it's not. Everybody's got their something. <clears throat> yeah, every yeah, it's true. I mean, it's so true. And uh, we're just doing shorthand. We're doing life shorthand, and it's extension of of us being mad about something else or whatever it is. But there's also people who just they 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 don't know how to react because they've never seen it before. Right. That's okay too. But like Sox fans get mad when the team loses. I get it. I've been one. the The whole goal is to completely get everybody else and where they're coming from. And as you do that, you kind of see the hate go away. Mm-hmm. And and that's the whole hope here. And the other hope is that, you know, let's just have fun with it. It's weird the way I walk up to people. It is. I get it. But not everybody who who walks that way would have the the comfort to to discuss it in this way. Not not yet. I mean, I when I was here as an intern and even years after that, I, when I was younger, I, I wouldn't have because there was a lot of anger for me sure. in like, hey, am I not going to get this opportunity or why are people a- asking me if I need help or do I need a cart ride or whatever the heck it is? Yeah. Uh, I, I've started to understand where that anger came from, and and I've hooked up with these folks at the CPF and and their former CEO Richard Ellenson, who helped me write them, and and we co-wrote them, uh, and I enjoy the heck out of it. And actually, a really cool thing, if I can brag for half a second, and I didn't, I had nothing to do with this. They just told me this uh, about a month ago that uh, those spots, the the uh, awkward moments, and one's pinned on my Twitter, um, the awkward moment spots are being used in some schools in New York City as oh, part wow. of a curriculum that they've put forth Ooh. into uh, New York City schools. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So in terms of accepting difference or yeah. understanding um, disability or what have you? Yeah, understanding your classmates, yeah. whatever it is. And, and I, you know, I, there's a big White Sox fan uh, – his name is is Brian. I know he's a listener of this station. His son Bradley had uh, had leukemia and got a transplant from his sister. Actually, uh, young kid, wow. and and Brian told me that Bradley and he watched the awkward moments spots together. And uh, Bradley went to his school about a month ago and did a Q and A with the other kids in his class, and he's like eight, seven or eight, I think. And uh, did a Q&A about having leukemia. And in part, he had the courage because he watched those. Oh, and I uh, I cried stuff. a lot. That's the stuff right there. I was, uh, you know, I I had met them at Ronald McDonald House. And I they sent me a piece of the, of the Q&A. And I was, I, I was sitting at my desk at home just crying. Because uh, it is so neat to see kids understand that whatever it is about them mm-hmm. can just be talked about. And the fear goes away. Yeah, that, I mean that's what it is. Your 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 opportunity to talk about your something obviously can help other people be more comfortable with their something. But but everybody that's listening who has a something, yeah, go talk about it. Mm-hmm. Fair to say. Uh, Jason Bonetti, what a pleasure. I have uh, uh, treasured your friendship and appreciated your uh, your support in what has been sometimes a, a trying portion of, of my particular life, personally. Uh, but now I will get back to the gruff baseball conversation that, that this Not, this job demands. Wait, can I, no! can I have 10 seconds? No, Grr. no. Here, uh, <laughs> You're good. I, no, no, no. 
I love talking sports with you. And Chicago loves uh, feeling your passion for sports and creativity and music and everything. And uh, I am so grateful that you have a platform for that and uh, and really, truly hope you always will forever and always in whatever <laughs> life because you're, you're too smart. Thanks, man. That's truly kind of you. Appreciate it. Jason Benetti does White Sox games and much, much more. Check him out on Twitter at Jason Benetti is his uncreative handle. Is that, is that right? It sure is. Okay. Thanks, Matt. All right, buddy. Thank you so much. He is Jason Benetti. I'm Matt Spiegel. We'll come back on Hit and Run. We'll talk about that Cubs game you were probably asleep for the end of last night on 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.